Thank you for listening to the weekly message from Trinity of Fairview. Here's Pastor Stacy Harris. You got a copy of the Word. Open it up to the book of Colossians today, uh, chapter 1. Here we are in this time of year as Easter is, a, is approaching us. Uh, the preeminent day on the Christian's calendar. Uh, the celebration of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. How many of y'all are glad today you don't serve a God who's dead and in the grave, but you serve one who is alive and well and sitting at the right hand of the Father? Man, we've come to celebrate that fact. And in, that, uh, in these moments, the book of Colossians teaches us, and I think we do well, to consider this person and his work, the person in the work of Jesus Christ, the one that we celebrate, who is our risen Lord and Savior. We've begun by looking at the person and the work of Christ in the Christian with the theme above all. Uh, 2.10 tells us that he is the head, the principality, ahead of all principalities and powers, that he is supreme and that he is preeminent. And if that ought to be true any place in the world, it ought to be in the life of a Christian. Uniquely supreme, undeniably supreme, unrivaled in his supremacy. He ought to be supreme and preeminent in the heart of the Christian, first of all. We looked at that last week in verses 4 through 8. No one before him in the heart of a true convert. If you really belong to the Lord Jesus Christ, He's got a whole first place in your heart and your life. Nothing can be before the Lord Jesus Christ. Why is that, Pastor? Why should He be preeminent and above all in my heart and my life? Well, no one can do for us what Jesus has. How many of y'all can look in your life and see that only Jesus Christ has done the things that could have been done and were needed to be done in your life? He can only do some things, and He's only done some things for us. Only He could have done it. He's the source of our faith, of our hope. We learned that. He's the substance of our love. He's the subject of our gospel. We have a story to tell to the nations, and it's centered around the Lord Jesus Christ. We learned that He is the supplier of our grace. How many of y'all are glad today that you've received grace from the good right hand of an almighty God? We understand that He's the sovereign of our service. Listen, no one can do for us what Jesus has. No one can. It demands that he be unrivaled, supreme, above all, in the heart of the Christian. Today, I want to look at this thought quickly in your hearing. He needs to be above all in what I call the hope of the Christian. In verses 9 through 12, we see that there's no one above him in the hope of the Christian. Why? Because no one can do for us what Jesus can. Not only is it true that no one can do for us what Jesus has, it's equally true that no one can do for us what Jesus can. Every day that we live, and if we tarry here for 50 years, listen, there's nobody that can do the things Jesus can do for you in your life. And ultimately, our hope is that we'll dwell with Him throughout all eternity, and nobody can do that for you except the Lord Jesus Christ. Why should He be preeminent in our hope? Because no one can do for us what Jesus can. Right here, the precious prayer of Paul for this Colossian church, I believe it applies well to us today. And we're going to pick out three or four things related to our hope and our dreams and our desires and our earnest expectation. For in the Christian context, the word hope means earnest expectation. It is not wishful thinking. It is my expectation that this is what's going to happen. My earnest expectation. Paul begins to pray for this church. And hear us today. He, it reads this way. Chapter 1, verse 9. For this cause we also, since the day we heard of it. What is it? 
your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, the, the things that He's done for you. We do not cease to pray for you and to desire or to hope for you, earnestly expect that you might be filled. That's an operative word. You ought to circle it with the knowledge of His will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding, that you might walk worthy of the Lord unto all pleasing, being fruitful. There's another operative word in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. Verse 11, strengthened, strengthened. I like that. You ought to circle that word with all might, according to His glorious power, unto all patience and long-suffering with joyfulness. Verse 12, giving thanks. Thanks, that's a good word to circle, and you ought to underline, unto the Father, which has made us meet to be partakers. Which has made us meet. Let's, let's soak this in. Has made us meet to be partakers. Of the inheritance of the saints in light. I heard a story about three really good friends that found themselves stranded on a desert island. They'd been there for quite some time, explored it from stem to stern. There they were, tried to figure out every way of escape that they possibly could. Came to the understanding that they had no hope of getting themselves off that island. So they just decided to sit there and wait on whatever came. One day during their explorations, they found a, a really ornate vase on the island. And man, when they got it, they began to clean it up and dust it off. And as they were cleaning it, man, as it would have it, a genie came up out of this bottle. And there he was on that desert island. And he said, guys, I'm going to grant each one of you one wish on this island. Here I am. Each one of you get one wish. The first man contemplated, he said, gosh, I miss my wife and kids back in Fairview, North Carolina. I just wish that I was back there with them. And poof, he was gone. He was back there with his wife and kids in Fairview, North Carolina. Second guy contemplated, he said, man, my fiance lives in Fletcher. I, I, I just would love to get back with her and get, get reunited with her, go ahead and be married and live our lives. I just wish I was back in Fletcher, North Carolina with my fiance and poof, uh, a cloud and, and he was gone. There he was. Third man was sitting on the beach with that genie. He got to contemplate, and he said, Man, it sure is lonely here. I miss those old boys deeply. I just wish that they were both back right here with me. And poof, here they were. So you can get in trouble. <laughs> you can get in trouble when you begin to wish for things. It's well said that sometimes you wish for something. You better be careful. You just might get it. Christians aren't people who wish for things. Christians are people of hope. Christians are people who have an earnest expectation. And that earnest expectation is caught up in one person and one person alone. His name is Jesus Christ of Nazareth. How many of y'all have a hope today? Well, let me tell you, it's in Jesus Christ of Nazareth if you have any hope. He is hope. That's who Jesus is. He came to bring us hope. He lives daily to sow hope into our lives. I know I have a hope that one of these days when I lay this old body down, if I go by way of the grave, that, that man, that isn't the end for me, but there's a, a glorious eternity alongside the Lord Jesus Christ, and I'll live there with Him forever. But you know, if in the morning I draw breath and the sun comes up on me, I have a hope that that same Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, will meet me when I get up tomorrow, and He will give me everything I need to make it through the day. And you see, hope for the Christian is caught up in Jesus Christ of Nazareth. 
You can't have hope in your pastor. You cannot even have hope in the church of Jesus Christ. You can have hope in one person and one person alone, and that is Jesus, the Son of the living God Himself. And Christians aren't people who wish today. People, Christians are people of a hope. And that hope comes by way of the Lord Jesus Christ. And Paul, through his prayer, right here is saying, Church, here's what I'm asking God to do for you in these days. Here's not what I simply wish for you, but here's what I hope for you. Here's what I desire for you. Here's what I expect for you. And these are things, beloved, mark it down, that only Jesus Christ can do in your life. I want you to show you four thoughts here, one in each verse. Let's begin in verse 9. Paul, first of all, prays that they are what I call filled. He prays that they are filled. He says, I pray that you'd be filled with knowledge. I pray that you'd be filled to the uttermost with, with knowledge, man. And not just any arbitrary knowledge, but a particular knowledge. He says, I don't cease to pray that you might be filled with the knowledge, and these words are important, of His will. I pray that you would know His will. I pray that it would fill you to the uttermost in all wisdom and spiritually that you'd understand what it is that God wants you to do. Now, man, that's what I want for my life. I want to get up in the morning and do what Jesus wants me to do. How many of y'all want to just know the will of God for your life and do it? Man, isn't that a joyous thought? That we could just know what God's desire for us is today and to get up and do it. Man, that is my heart's desire. My mind drifts back some, over some 20 years ago now to the first job description I ever received when I came on staff at this church. Now we write very elaborate and ornate job descriptions, and we write a whole bunch more these days than we did in the old days. we got a lot more people doing a whole lot more things, and the Lord is just blessing us. But I remember they literally gave me a piece of paper. Here was my job description. It said this, he does whatever the pastor tells him to do. That was written on a piece of paper and handed to me. I mean, hey, that's what you do. I, I couldn't even go to him and say, that's not in my job description. I mean, hey, whatever he wanted to put in it, that was in my job description. And you know what? That didn't bother me. You know why? That's what I wanted to do. I just wanted to come alongside him. I wanted to support him. I wanted to undergird his vision and help him carry forward the things that God had asked him to do. Well, you know, our job description as Christians, when we get up in the morning and we think, what am I supposed to do? As a child of the king, our mind ought to run to this. Whatever the Father tells us to do, that's what we ought to do. It's my heart's desire today just to know the will of God so much more with Him than any other person on this planet. And I tell you this, only Jesus can bring that understanding into your life. Only by way of a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ will you ever begin to know the will of God for your life as you live on this planet. question is, how do we know His will, Father? If we're a pastor, how do we know His will? If I get asked one question over and over by people or a prayer request comes in frequently, it's this. Pastor, would you pray that I just know what God wants me to do in this situation? Pastor, would you pray that I'd just find the call of God in my life? Pastor, would you pray that I'd understand His will and His purpose? I get asked that time and time and time again. Why? Because that's what we want, and sometimes it's a difficult thing, isn't it, to ascertain 
So if I were to give you some, some pointers toward finding the will of God for your life and understanding spiritually, as Paul prays, with wisdom, understanding what God wants us to do, if there was one thing I could tell you, the means of understanding the will of God in your life is prayer. The means of knowing what He wants you to do is prayer. You, you'll never ascertain the will of God in your life any other way, I believe, than prayer than spending time with Him. That's the means of it. The more time I spend with Him connected in prayer, it seems the more I know of His will for my life and in any given moment and circumstance. He's saying, man, church, I pray for you that you'll be filled with the knowledge of His will. And by the means of that today is our prayer. The Word says, ask, seek, and knock. Man, do it in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth and by way of your relationship to Him. Now, the means is certainly prayer, but I'm going to tell you there's an aid in the Word of God. If you'll pray with the Word of God in your hand and in your heart and in your mind, you'll find that His will becomes more clear for your life. Prayer is certainly the means, but an aid, a great aid, is the revealed Word of God that we have in our hand. Most of the time, if we really want to know what He wants us to do, we'll find it in there somewhere if we seek it in prayer and ask the Holy Spirit to show us. The means is prayer. The aid is the Word of God. The avenue is the regenerate mind. I'll tell you, a lost person will never be able to understand the will and purpose of God. Uh, not for this universe, much less for their life or any other avenue. You have to have a mind that's been born again by the blood of Jesus Christ and regenerated to be able to understand what the will of God is. Now, the agent is the Holy Ghost. And man, how thankful I am for His still, small voice that speaks to me. How many of y'all can go back to a place in your life where you needed to know something from God? You searched, you prayed, you spent time in His Word, you thought it through in, in your mind, quickened by the Holy Spirit, but ultimately you didn't find it until that still, small voice of God sidled up beside you and spoke to you. The old prophet said this, didn't he? It wasn't in the whirlwind. It wasn't in the storm. It wasn't any of those miraculous things. It was where? In that still, small voice of the Holy Spirit. You want to know how to know the will of God in your life? Begin with prayer. Do it with the Word of God in your hand. Do it with your logic, your regenerate mind, thinking that renewed mind of the Holy Spirit. And then listen for that still, small voice to speak to you. And then you know the best thing you could do when He speaks? Get up and do what He's asking you to do. The best thing you'll ever do with a word from the Lord is just obey it. Paul says, man, I pray that you're filled. I wrote this down, folks. The more I know of Jesus, the higher opinion I have of His person and His work, the more I readily place Him in His right place of preeminence in my life and in my heart, the more I know of the will of God for my life. Paul says, man, here's my hope. Here's what I pray for you. Place Christ above all and be filled with the knowledge of His will. Secondly, he says, I pray that you be fruitful. Look with me in verse 10. He says, I, I want you to be fruitful. He says, that you might walk worthy of the Lord, indicating that there is such a walk that a Christian could take that's quote, unquote, unworthy, that there is a possibility of living your life in such a way as unworthy of the calling of God that's been placed in you and on you. I told the early service, I'll tell you, my, every time I read this anywhere in the New Testament, 
Testament, the, the, the words of my dear grandmother Harris, she used to say, would you straighten up and act like somebody? That's what she, hey, act like somebody that's got some sense. Act like somebody that's been raised with some kind of understanding of what it is to be a person. Man, don't bring shame upon your heritage. Act like somebody, man. Don't do that. And what the Lord's saying is begin to walk worthy. And when you begin to do that, he says this, I pray that you walk worthy, pleasing unto God, being fruitful unto every good work. Once we know the will of God and begin to obey it, then our worthy life begins to bear the fruit of God so that others might see it. And oh, that you would live a fruit-bearing life. Oh, that I would live a fruit-bearing life, one worthy of the Lord who has sought you and saved you. He says, man, begin to, to bear fruit in your life. How many of y'all would like to bear spiritual fruit in your life? Man, I'd just love to get up and have the Lord working in me and through me in such a way that I begin to bear fruit, evident fruit, that folks could see about me and in me. I wrote these thoughts down. A fruitful life is, first of all, in this verse, we learn pleasing unto God. God gets happy when you begin to bear fruit for Him. When He sees that you're living a fruitful life, amounting to something, when the Spirit is at work in you, and you begin to bear that spiritual fruit of peace, love, hope, joy, all those things that we understand come only through the Holy Spirit's work in our life. God the Father gets happy about those things. He says, man, do it unto all pleasing unto the Lord. I want to give you a note that I put here parenthetically. Men are not generally going to be very happy about you bearing fruit for the Lord. When you begin to bear real fruit for the Lord, the world, don't expect them to jump up and down and do jumping jacks and say, hey, glory to God and hallelujah for you. Listen, they're probably going to dislike you. They're probably going to disown you. And they're going to probably try to derail you and discourage you on every hand's turn when you begin to bear fruit for the Lord. But you know what? I don't really care what the world thinks, do you? I want to please my Heavenly Father. And He says, when you begin to bear fruit, it's pleasing Unto God. He says it's producing unto good works. He says bear, bear fruit unto, be fruitful unto, unto every good work. Not a few, but unto every good work. Good means beneficial, nourishing, and tasty. I remember that apple orchard that I grew up in as a kid. My granddad probably had 30 or 35 apple trees in a field down there. And man, those things were fun to play in on and under. They were great hiding places when the granny who asked you to straighten up and act like somebody was chasing you with a switch to ensure that you did it. They were, in, they were wonderful hiding places. We'd set up in the top of them until the sun went down. We could go home. We knew she was early to bed so we could slip back to the house. Man, we'd, we learned to do a lot of things. I, I, I tell you, my first batting cage was down there in that old apple orchard. I didn't know what a batting cage was, but man, there's plenty of apples on the ground during season to, to pitch up and bust wide open with anything you could find, a stick, a bat, it didn't matter. Man, we learned quickly uh, to eat those apples. We looked forward when they'd, when they'd start to bloom, and man, we'd go, we'd pick them and eat them all day long. We learned this too. Every tree in that orchard had apples on it. They all did. We figured out quickly which ones tasted good. We figured out there were some trees that you could go pick an apple off. Oh, man, it tastes so good. It'd be ready. All you had to do was wipe your T-shirt, wipe your apple in your T-shirt and, and go to town. We learned quickly and marked them well, the trees that weren't that way. They looked just the same, but, man, you pick an apple off of it and bite it, it would turn your tongue inside out. It'd ruin your taste buds for a week. You couldn't even enjoy a Reese's peanut butter cup after that. I'm just here to tell you, man, sour as the day is long. 
And you see, what he's saying is, I want you to be fruitful. And, and I want you to produce not just any old fruit, but good fruit, nourishing fruit. Fruit that's, that's good to the taste and pleasing unto God. Fruit that's increasing. Uh, you ought to produce more and more and more over time in parallel with your growing knowledge of the Father. A life that places Jesus, I wrote this down, in his proper perspective, which is above all, supreme and preeminent in his heart, has the great hope and the great expectation of bearing fruit for him. Paul says, I pray, I earnestly desire, I expect that you're going to begin to bear fruit for the Lord Jesus Christ, and only because of Jesus can we live a life that bears spiritual fruit. Only he can do that in us and through us. Thirdly, he says you ought to be fortified. Look at verse 11. He says, strengthened. I pray that you're, I hope that you're strengthened with all might according to his glorious power unto all patience and, and long-suffering. I pray that you're strengthened, man. I pray that you're strengthened with all the might, all the glorious power of God that's available. I pray that it pours into you and it bursts in you patience, long-suffering, and joy. You know, at my age, when I get up to eat breakfast, I, I should be eating oatmeal with some flaxseed poured in it and, and all those good the health stuff, you know. And man, I try to do that every now and then. I must admit, I don't get it done as often as I would, I would like to. The other morning I got up and poured me on occasion. I love to do this. I got up and poured me a great old big bowl of Frosted Flakes. I mean, Tony the Tiger. He says this, doesn't he? They're what? Great! That's what he said. Hey, hey, why not, man? You ought to have a bowl of Frosted Flakes every now and again. And, and you know what sells me on it is on the box it says this. They're fortified. I mean, a strong word. Fortified with, with vitamins and minerals. I mean, hey, in these Frosted Flakes that are so delicious, there's, there's vitamins and minerals in these things. They don't mention the synthetic sugar that's layered on the outside of them and the, and the cholesterol and the sun and all that that's in them. But hey, they're fortified, full of great strength, vitamins and minerals. And man, Paul is saying, I pray that you'd be fortified, strengthened. I pray that the power of God, because of the life and work of Jesus Christ and the person of the Holy Spirit, would pour out into your life and make you ready, fortified against all the failings that the enemy might try to throw into your life. That insistence, that pressure, that restlessness, that unforgiveness and bitterness. Man, when we are alongside and strengthened by the Holy Spirit of God because of Jesus. Man, we're able to, to stand in those temptations of the devil. I wrote this down. Most mistakes I've made in my life, I don't know about you, most of the mistakes I've made in my life relate to my impatience and my insistence. Not all, but most. I can trace back to my impatience and my insistence. He says, I pray that you feel with the Holy Spirit. I pray that you feel with the marvelous, mighty power of God so that you might be patient, so that you might be long-suffering, and that you might do it with great joy, that you might wait. Most of the time I've ever gotten trouble, I've said things like, Lord, I'm not going to wait any longer. Lord, I've prayed about this long enough. I'm not going to wait one minute longer. I'm going to make something happen right here. And you know, it's only through the strength of Christ that I can be fortified against this in my life. He says, I pray that you're strengthened to the point where you learn to wait on God. If I had waited, I go back so many times in my life. If I'd waited just a few moments longer on the Holy Spirit, man, how much better things would have turned out in those moments. Doesn't the Word tell us that if we'll wait, that our strength will be renewed? 
Doesn't it say in Isaiah, those that what? Wait upon the Lord, they shall renew their strength. And what? They shall mount up with wings as eagles, and they shall run and, and not be weary. And what else? They'll walk and not faint. Man, he says, I pray, I pray that you're fortified, that the strength of God comes into you, that you're willing to wait. I wrote this down. I find the higher position he holds in my life and thinking. The more patient I become, and the more of his strength I have in my life. He's above all, beloved. Strength, not only is on, strength is not only demonstrated in perpetration. It's not by what we do so much that we see strength. It's greatly demonstrated through patience. And usually, it takes a whole lot more fortitude to wait than it does to act. Paul's saying, I pray. Here's my hope for you. Here's my desire. I am impatient to the core. You know the only way I'm going to wait? Jesus is going to have to do it for me. These are things that only he can do. Fourthly, focused. He says, I pray that you focus. Look at verse 12. He says this, and in closing, Give thanks unto the Father, which has made us meet to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints of light. The Word tells us that alongside and because of the life and work of Jesus Christ that we are no longer servants, but we are now sons. And the Word tells us that we are heirs and joint heirs alongside the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul says here there's an inheritance laid up for those who are saints of God, born by the light himself, Jesus Christ. There's an inheritance laid up. An inheritance is not something that I work for. An inheritance is not something I had anything to do with. An inheritance is something that my father earned, and he says, son, because you're my son, I'm just going to leave you all the riches that I have to use at your disposal. Man alive, I tell you what, I, I think it's a glorious thing today to think that all of the riches of heaven are our, at our disposal there, our inheritance, because of the life and work of the Lord Jesus Christ. I have a young daughter, my youngest, who will have a, a birthday this week. In some ways that excites me, and, and I'm happy about it, and in some ways that depresses the living fire out of me, but it's going to happen. She turned 15 a little later on. I'll take her to get her permit sometimes. She'll have her driving privileges. And as I look back, I find that time has passed me by rather quickly. We'll be in her birthday. We get her something, you know. It's her birthday present. We celebrate a little bit. We got it, brought it home. Mom took it upstairs, laid it out on her bed last night, waited on her and Rachel to get back. And she went upstairs, and we let her discover it. That's part of it, you know. She came running back down the stairs. Thank y'all. Thank y'all. Thank y'all so much for what you gave me up there. Thank you. Thank you. And man, me being a dad, I just beamed. Baby, you're welcome. Baby, we love you beyond measure. You're just welcome. Thank you for caring enough to say thanks. And, and after all that was over, I was sitting there in my recliner, and this thought hit my mind. You know, I, I just took thanks for something I had very little to do with. I mean, I, I just did. Because if she was going to thank anybody, it didn't need to be y'all. It needed to be her. I mean, oh, hey, because it was mom that probed her to figure out what she wanted. It was mom that went to town and picked it out. It was mom who bought it. It was mom who got the card. It was mom who took it upstairs and laid it on her bed. It was mom who did all these things. And here's dad down there saying, baby, I love you. And I appreciate you telling me thanks. I'd do anything for you, honey. I really would. 
And you see, if I'm ADD about anything in the Spirit, I believe it's about Thanksgiving. Because I forget to say it. And then when I do say it, I'm often saying it to the wrong person. And Paul says, a person who holds Jesus Christ preeminent in his heart and his life understand that all the thanks, all the glory and all the honor for any good thing that comes into your life belongs solely and completely to the glory of his name. I want you to do something for me. If you're a note taker right now, I want you to write down three or four things you're thankful for. Things just, man, that the Holy Spirit draws across your mind in this moment. I'm thankful for this. I'm, I'm thankful for that. If you're not a note taker, just maybe close your eyes or even with them open, just think a minute about the things in your life. Let, it, let your mind drift across this week or even today and say, wow, I have this in my life. I have, I have that in my life. I'm thankful for these things. Man, we are a people blessed, pressed down, shaken together and overflowing we have much to be thankful for just to live in the United States of America and come to this house and, and be able to freely worship in the way that we do. Our salvation, man, we ought to be thankful for so many things in our lives. And as you write, I, I was tempted to let you stand this morning, but I fear that the list would go on and on and on. And I fear if you had a notebook today, you could fill page after page after page of the things that you're thankful for in your life. And you and I, we have much to be thankful for. But the real truth today is this. We only have one person that we must be thankful to. And that is the Lord Jesus Christ Himself. We have much to be thankful for, but we only have one who we must be thankful to. Church, we've been blessed corporately. We've been blessed in abundance. We've been blessed pressed down, heaped up, and shaken together. Unless we stand aside and pat ourselves on the back or thank someone else for it, I believe we'd be wise to have Habitually turn our eyes toward heaven and say, Father, thank you, Father, thank you, thank you, thank you for all the good things that you've poured into my life. I would love it if we thanked him corporately today. So I'm going to count of three. I'm going to ask you with all those things in your mind that you wrote down. I want to ask you to direct the glory and the honor and the thanks unto the one who's worthy of it, unto Jesus Christ. So on the count of three, we ought to say out loud and to our best, thank you, Jesus. You ready? One, two, three. Thank you, Jesus. I'm going to ask you to stand to your feet. Let's do it to the best of our ability today. We ought to give Him the thanks, the glory, the honor, and the praise for all that He has poured into our life without reserve. We have an inheritance, beloved, because we're saints of God. And that's nothing you could do. That's nothing I could do. That's something only the Lord Jesus Christ could do in our life. And we owe Him thanks. Let's do it again. One, two, three. Thank you, Jesus. Praise be unto God. He's worthy of that. Paul says, I pray, beloved, that you might be focused. I pray you might be focused. He who holds Christ above all easily and naturally, beloved, places the thanks where it belongs. At the throne of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Christ needs to be above all. It needs to be above all in the heart of a Christian. Why? Because Jesus has done things for you that nobody else could have. He needs to be above all in the hope of a Christian. Why? Because there's things in your life that only He can do for you. 
I want you to bow your heads and close your eyes right where you are. I want you to do this. I want you just to pray right now. I want you to pray, Lord, be above all in my heart. Be above all in my hope. I want you above all in my life. He must be above all, first and foremost, in the heart and the hope of the Christian. I want you to pray this, not, not for yourself. I want you to pray for the person to your left, the person to your right, the person in front of you, behind you, maybe the person that the Lord draws across your mind. I want you to pray right now. Father, would you, would you fill them? Would you fill them with the knowledge of your will for their life? Would you fill them with the spiritual understanding of what it is you want them to do every minute of every hour of every day? Father, would you let them be fruitful? Would you let them live a life pleasing unto God, bearing spiritual fruit? Father, would you fortify them? Father, would you do it with the glorious power and all the might that exists in the person of Jesus Christ? Father, would you fortify them so they'd be patient, willing to wait and allow you to do the work in them and through them? Lord, would you focus them? Lord, would you make them focused on understanding that all they have inherited as saints of God, you deserve the thanks and the glory and the honor and the praise for. And then would you pray that for this church? Would you pray those things that we would be a people that place Christ above all? Wishing? That's trouble. A Christian isn't a person who depends upon wishful thinking. Christians are people of hope. And we have hope only because the life, the person, and the work of Jesus Christ. We hope you've been blessed by today's message. If you'd like to find out more about Trinity of Fairview, visit us online at trinityoffairview.org or call 828-628-1188.